Hello. You might have heard the phrase One Health crop up in articles or in discussions about COVID-19. You might know that it involves looking at human health and animal health as one, but is there more to it than that? And can it help us unlock some of the secrets to understanding the current pandemic? Perhaps more importantly, can One Health help us figure out how to make future pandemics less frequent and less deadly by explaining more about how viruses move between humans and animals? And how important is Edinburgh and data in the One Health world? I'm David Lee and welcome to the latest episode in the podcast series Data Capital, brought to you by the Scotsman and the Data Driven Innovation Initiative, part of the Edinburgh and South East Scotland City Region deal. To help understand One Health, I spoke to Professor Bruce Whitelaw. He's Deputy Director and Director of Partnerships at the Roslyn Institute and Professor of Animal Biotechnology at the DICVET, one of the world's leading veterinary schools. He's also one of the leaders of Edinburgh's One Health Charge. I started by asking him what I naively thought was a simple question, but clearly isn't. Just what is One Health? Uh, in, in many ways, I think it's difficult to define what One Health is. Um, perhaps simply that the health of us humans um, and the health of other animals on our planet and that in, of the entire ecosystem that we find ourselves in the environment that we live in um, are all interconnected. Uh, we need to look after all three pillars of that ourselves, animals and the environment if we're to achieve One Health and, and reap the benefits of One Health thinking. So where did the phrase One Health come from? You can ask many people that question and get many different answers. There's many people who want to take ownership of, of One Health. Um, but, you know, in reality, we've been doing this for millennia. Um, it, it's our forebears and, and the forebears before them have realised the interplay between themselves, the animals around about them and, and the world is, is what uh, is needed. Um, One Health term basically gives us a lens, a focus, uh, a lens to view the challenge. Um, and I, I'm not sure there's an awful lot of benefit of finding out who actually came up with the word first. So if we want to fuse human health, animal health and our environment, our entire ecosystem, as Professor Whitelaw put it, where do we start? Isn't it in many ways a pipe dream? I think it's certainly a, a huge ask. There are many, many, many parameters, uh, challenges, angles. Um, and to say that we as a, any single group or any groups of people can, can achieve everything, I think, is, is too much. But there are some which some aspects which I think we can make quite quick uh, interventions into, um, reducing uh, the impact of infectious disease, being more prepared for infectious disease, and doing this in a fair and equitable manner, increasing our ability to predict how we will behave and, and how we'll respond to changes in policy or actions. These are all very achievable um, uh, goals. So how important is the University of Edinburgh to One Health? And when did it start looking at this area? I think you could quite um, happily uh, uh, defend the fact that Edinburgh University has been working in the One Health arena since it started five, over 500 years ago. It is not a single thing. It is an interplay of different 
different uh, disciplines, of different um, uh, abilities and skills. So, so I think my answer to that is it, it came to, to Edinburgh University when, when the university started. It probably came to Edinburgh when Edinburgh started. With more focus on One Health as a result of the pandemic, how is Edinburgh going about teaching the subject? How does the MSc course cram in human health, animal health and our entire ecosystem? I think any single course can't do it all. There's no question about that. And, and I think it's the overall package that we have in Edinburgh uh, that, that is very, very powerful. The MSc course in particular, it is a sort of um, different beast within the, the academic portfolio in that it is transdisciplinary and there are lecturers from different parts of the university contributing to it. And, and I think that gives it a, a unique flavour. Um, it, it focuses on specific aspects. It focuses on ecosystem health, um, public health, um, one health policy, epidemiology um, around uh, spread within animals and humans um, and and it has an, a range of elective courses. Perhaps in this current COVID pandemic, we, we, we are finding ourselves in the elective on zoonosis would be the most interest to people. But, but the key bit about it is it's transdisciplinary. It does not deliver the whole One Health package. You need to have an organisation the size of Edinburgh University to, to offer many different courses um, and, and you know, to, to tap into the interest of the student. Most of the courses are there to promote interest in an area of one sort or another and give that diversity of, of subject matter to allow that to happen. It's then up to the individual student, whether that is, is somebody straight out of school or whether it's somebody coming back as part of a lifelong learning process to pick up the aspect they want. A university the size of Edinburgh has the ability to offer courses across a wide range so they can then dive into that area of expertise they want um, and and you know the, the design of these is to open the uh, I used the word lens earlier lens of that student that pupil that that learner to what aspect they might be interested in want to follow up with when it comes to actually delivering impact beyond the, the development of talent and, and the lifelong skilling um, that, that Edinburgh wants to do earlier Professor Whitelaw mentioned zoonosis what does that mean for us non-experts? Zoonosis is another one of these words which we in, in um, the medical academic arena uh, have, have made up in a way. And it, it describes the spread of disease from animals to ourselves. Um, and that could be a virus, as in the case of the coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 that we are currently um, enduring. Um, uh, it could be influenza. Uh, known to infect pigs and, and birds as, as well as ourselves. Or it could be one of the um, bacterial um, diseases which, which can quite happily exist in an animal or exist in ourselves. So it's the spread of disease, infectious disease, from an animal to us, or potentially from us back to the animal. So this series is called Data Capital. How important is data to One Health? Absolutely critical, absolutely essential. Um, as we discussed, One Health is massive. Um, it will require countless data sets to, to be generated and to be used to give us the awareness, the, the knowledge to, to mitigate future One Health challenges. Um, it, but it's not having individual data sets which is key here. It's the ability to put them together, to layer them, to fuse them together. 
even though they may come from very different sources. It may come from a, a, a GP a network of GPs to tell us how a virus or, or some disease is spreading in, in a human population versus farms where, where we might be picking up the disease spreading on farms. Indeed, consider that on a global scale. There'll be data sets coming in from different parts of the world. So it's how we fuse that data together and, and how we layer it together. And, and this is where Edinburgh can really excel. We have supercomputers here in the Edinburgh region. We have a wealth of academics and industry all looking at how to collect, curate, analyze, store data better than we've done before. And, and as I said at the start of this sort of comment, it's how we layer them together that is really powerful here and how we fuse data sets from really quite disparate sources into a meaningful avenue of research and, and translation. Just as an aside, Professor Whitelaw mentioned the supercomputing power in the Edinburgh region just then. Those supercomputers are 25 million times more powerful than they were 30 years ago and can do 25 million billion calculations every second. That power is the subject of another podcast in this series, so please have a listen. Back to Bruce Whitelaw and One Health. So where do we need to improve the data available in this area? Do we need more on human health, more on animal health, or better data about our environment? All of the above, David, all of the above. We, we have lots of data, but we need lots and lots more. And we need to be imaginative about how we collect those data and, and bring them into play. We are pretty good at data sets around disease in ourselves. We are getting much better at disease in animals, or should I say farmed animals or, or companion animals. There is still quite a journey ahead with regards to disease within wildlife. And I think there's real opportunities there for Edinburgh to contribute to, to that. Um, there's also the aspect I mentioned, you know, behaviour. We do know a lot about how we behave uh, in certain ways, um, but there's an awful lot more to learn. So we need to be better at capturing how we imagine or how we predict society will respond to different behavioural requests. And, and the example I throw up is, would we have predicted two years ago such complexity around the issue of wearing face masks? I would suggest we didn't, um, but we need to. And we need to then input that into how we develop policy on the back of understanding how health issues either transmit or, or develop. So... We need really good data, we need more of it, and we need to be able to fuse different data sets together in a meaningful and useful way. If we can do that, what excites Bruce Whitelaw most about the potential of One Health? How far can we go? What excites me most about it is this need for the transdisciplinary nature. It is not simply a biologist, it's not simply a sociologist, it's not simply a policy developer. It's actually how we, so, you know, I talked about fusing data together. It's about fusing people together and how we approach this, how we layer these different skills upon each other. Um, and I find that really exciting and, and I, I really enjoy bringing teams together to achieve something. And, and that's what excites me about the One Health thing. My own research, um, I'm a geneticist and my work for the last too many decades has been around working how to generate and produce disease-resistant animals. Um, we have largely focused on livestock and, and agriculture, 
But imagine if we could generate chickens that weren't susceptible to influenza or pigs that weren't susceptible to influenza and, and the massive impact that would have on, on the likelihood of, of flu de de you know, decimating human populations. These are big topics. So how important is it for experts in Edinburgh not only to work with each other, but experts further afield and others with an interest in the subject? When it comes to impact in research and impact in translation, no one organisation can do it themselves. We have to work in partnership. We have to work in partnership across the UK. We have to work in partnership across the world. And those partnerships will be government, will be um, uh, academic, will be the commercial sector. And, and it's only through that network of, of activity with Edinburgh being a key hub in, in delivering that, that, that will achieve the translational effort that will be required to be ready for the next pandemic, to be able to offer fair and, and, and equitable solutions to, to health issues across the world. Can Professor Whitelaw offer a clear example of where One Health has made a real difference to society with data and working together to the fore? I'm not sure there's one that's got right the way to the very end, um, but there are some that, that are already making impacts. Uh, I would look at rabies and, and how we are approaching mitigating rabies across the world um, using a whole raft of aspects which involve not only understanding the, the, the pathogen itself, but how, how the, the dog um, uh, populations are managed and indeed what impact altering that has on the local environment and, and economy. So um, I think rabies would be good. I would also put flu in there, influenza in there. We are much better at understanding we need to see what's happening in animal populations to predict um, uh, where, when and, and when the, the next. But for both of them, we've got a long journey ahead. And in terms of One Health data and the current pandemic, what does Professor Whitelaw think we've learned? What's important here? Um, I would say that the two biggest learnings we've got is that by working together, we can really make fast developments and, and the vaccines would be um, a great example of that. Not only working together, but having multiple strands going at the same time to deliver the common solution, if you want to call it that. And, and, and that's clearly an something we've learned. I think about how we communicate um, and we can look both at the levels of um, um, political communication, but also um, how the media have, have supported communications across and how societies have responded to it differently in different parts of the world. And, and there's a lot of learning there. To say we've learnt it, I think it's premature, but we can learn from that. Um, and I, I think the third thing we need to, to realise and, and will learn from, from this pandemic is the need to be better prepared to actually know what is out there um, and, and, and what might come. And we can, by doing critical mass research in some aspects, we can get much better at predicting. I, I, I do foresee within the foreseeable future, five years maybe, we'll be able to say what is likely to be the next coronavirus, what is likely to be the next influenza strain that comes out and affects us. Where in the world, that, that if, if this happens, where would, where would it have the biggest impact? We'll be able to predict this, and in doing so, we'll be able to put in policies that will reduce the impact. The, the ideal end goal of preparedness is to allow as much business as usual to happen. Whether we can ever have a pandemic and have full business as usual, but, but we can get a lot better than, than we, we have perhaps done over the last 18 months.
that's not a criticism of what we've done. It's just we weren't ready enough. And what does he see as some of the biggest challenges ahead? We are aware of what's called AMR or antimicrobial resistance. It's a phrase which is becoming more and more known about how bacterial strains are evolving to evade the drugs that we can treat them with and and the impact that has. Um, Some people call this the slow pandemic. Uh, It is certainly there. And and that is an area, I think, that Edinburgh has great expertise in in, in, in that space. This isn't just about global pandemics, Professor Whitelaw wants to stress. In areas like food poisoning, antimicrobial resistance could be a really big problem. As the level of uh, AMR, antimicrobial resistance, increases across specific bacterial types, um, uh, the likelihood that that will cause disease in ourselves increases. The continuous rise of resistance in these strains poses a real real issue for us going forward. The numbers the numbers at the minute that suffer um, from food poisoning are small compared to um, SARS-CoV-2. But SARS-CoV-2 is a, is a pandemic that, that hopefully has come and hopefully will go um, or at least be manageable. Um, uh, AMR issue and, and food poisoning is a relentless challenge to all societies across the world on a day-by-day basis. Um, we can better understand how the pathogens evolve by looking at them in great detail, really doing the same as that was applied to vaccine development, applying a huge critical mass of research to ask one single question. We can understand how these pathogens evolve and from that understanding we can then predict what is likely to be the next outbreak, the next disease, and we can predict how we could treat it from that understanding. So what's the role of data in rising to these 21st century challenges? Professor Whitelaw reinforces its vital role, but also stresses the enormous importance of communicating what the data means in an effective way. Again, I go back to this um, balance between inequality, communication, policy development. And and I think there, regardless of what it is, whether it's a virus, whether it's a pathogen, whether it's a disease of age, whether it's a disease of inequalities themselves um, or nutrition, um, I think having uh, a greater understanding of the interplay there of, of societies and information flow, which is all part of big data. I mean, the, the challenge with big data is, yes, we've got to store it somewhere, we've got to patch it up together, we've got to interrogate it, but at the end of the day, we've got to communicate it. And that that is going to be a big challenge. Um, uh, and one that the One Health lens can throw, I think, wonderful um, visibility on. So what's happening in Edinburgh to bring together this data expertise and this wide range in medical expertise and to be a leader in One Health? Edinburgh wants to be um, a hub in One Health, uh, both from the research and the teaching, but also in in the exploitation and translation of uh, commercial activities that come out of that. The teaching part is is the the absolute mainstay of a university, and it it forms ambassadors that go out around the world, not only to advance um, uh, or to tackle challenges, but also to advance the, 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 the whole concept of going to university, I suppose. Um, where, where our strengths are, public health, um, ageing population, understanding how to, to work with the ageing population, disease transmission and disease biology in general, 
more specifically, all the genetics around that, whether it's the genetics of the pathogen or the genetics of ourselves or other hosts that pick up the pathogen, our social science, our ability to contribute into government policy and, and regulations, these are the types of areas where we can really make an impact. And Edinburgh wants to do that in the context of, of being a hub, whether that is a, an institute, whether that is a, a virtual thing, um, uh, time will tell. Um, we haven't focused on One Health, but in the future we will. And if all this comes together, how can it help prevent or at least reduce the impacts of future global medical crises like the one which has changed all our lives in such fundamental ways? I would like to see um, us being able to predict what the next, for specific viruses, what the next likelihood outbreak will be. And I'll pick influenza, um, possibly corona, but definitely influenza. And not only would we be able to predict it, but we'll have put in place a whole variety of, of, or at least been leading in putting in place a whole variety of aspects to mitigate it. That is drug development, um, better surveillance to see it coming, um, animals that are better able to resist the virus and, and therefore um, less likely to transmit it, having place policies and strategies to uh, help society adapt to whatever challenge appears in that regard. So I would pick influenza as a main one. I would also pick coronaviruses. They're a slightly harder um, virus to, to work with and understand due to the biology of the virus, but exactly the same thing. We can get better able to predict what will be the next one out of there. Um, it's not it's not simply from the virology or 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 the, the biology of the disease it's actually how we as humans respond to it who amongst us are more susceptible to bad disease and and how can we mitigate that through specific treatments um and but as i said and i can't overstate it how actually we communicate that in a meaningful way to ensure they're not um, inequalities and in that whatever solutions come out are fair across our populations. Thanks very much to Professor Bruce Whitelaw and thank you for listening to the latest in the series Data Capital, brought to you by the Scotsman and the Data Driven Innovation Initiative, part of the Edinburgh and South East Scotland City Region deal. Listen out for previous episodes in the series on robotics, supercomputing and more, which you'll find on all the main podcast platforms. And please give us your feedback. Data Capital is presented by me, David Lee, and produced by Kelly Crichton.